All right. Well, our homily, our sermon this morning comes from the book of Matthew. And so I I encourage you to turn there with me if you have your Bible. Uh, We do put, put stuff on the screen, but I encourage everyone to bring your own Bible. Be used to uh, opening and studying the Word of God yourself. Um, and so that's just a plug to bring your Bible to church. We're focusing on one verse in this passage, but we need the context. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Please give your attention to the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what uh, nor about your body, what you will wear. It is, is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, nor what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Father, again, we come to you and we ask that you would be at work among us through the power and presence of your Spirit. Lord, speak to our hearts. Convict, encourage, uh, comfort, challenge, Lord, we pray. We ask this for our good and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in a sermon series right now called A Beautiful Faith. And we are endeavoring to look into what the, the, the beauty of the Christian faith uh, in a particularly unbeautiful time. Uh, in fact, though, the beauty of Christianity is meant to shine all the brighter during, uh, in the midst of ugliness in this world. So we've looked at the beauty of Jesus. We've looked at the beautiful invitation that Jesus invites us into. Last week, David preached on the beautiful image that God has given us, that we reflect his very image in the world, his character. Uh, Today, we want to look at how these things come together into a beautiful life. And this will be kind of where we're going over the next few weeks in this sermon series, that, that the beauty of our faith, the beauty of our Savior translates into our lives, that it is visible, there is an active effect on those who follow Jesus. To follow Jesus is to live out the Christian life. It's an invitation to a beautiful life. That's not a category we often think of, that our lives can be beautiful. 
We may think our life can be efficient. We might think it's purposeful or effective. But beauty is a category I want to challenge us to think more about. So what is a beautiful life, and what is this invitation? Well, I want to talk about this invitation in the context of our our sermon passage, Matthew chapter 6, and specifically Jesus' invitation or command in verse 33 when he tells his followers to seek first the kingdom of God and his, God's, righteousness. So what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God. Well, in the context of the passage, why we read the beginning section is Jesus sets this this teaching up in the contrast of two kingdoms, or you could say many kingdoms, but, but two general kingdoms. One is the kingdom of God, and the other is our own kingdoms. We as sinful people, descendants of our first parents, we tend to, and apart from God's work in our lives, we live for our own kingdoms. What that means is we want to be the rulers of our lives, right? We, and, and I mean, we could have a two-hour sermon on, you know, how much Americans, 21st century Americans, we want desperately to be in control of our lives. We want no strings attached. Uh, we want to be our own Rulers, But Jesus puts his finger on something. If you're the ruler of your own life, then you are responsible for every aspect of it. That's why he points out anxiety. When you're the ruler of your life, you are responsible for providing for yourself, for feeding yourself, for clothing yourself. And don't we know anxiety? Some have called, I mean actually even the generation before us. It was called the age of anxiety. As we've gained in technology and proficiency and independency, the anxiety, the need for mental health specialists, counselors, and therapists has risen. Why? I would argue it's because we feel more powerful, more independent, but therefore more weight on us. I mean, imagine Jesus speaks to this heart issue 2,000 years ago when they didn't have the internet, they didn't have smartphones, they didn't have electrical vehicles. How much more do we think, have we been convinced that we can live apart from God? And, you know, Jesus uses these examples of what you will eat, drink, what you will wear, But he's speaking to all of the things that we are anxious about. We're anxious about providing for ourselves financially, materially, socially. Are we enough? Do we have what it takes? We're anxious about this stuff because we believe that if we don't worry about it, no one else will. We don't trust that anyone is looking out for us. Many of us feel fundamentally alone in the world. There's a, there's a famous-ish, depending on your circles, book that came out either the late, I think it's the late 70s or the early 80s, called Bowling Alone. And it was this uh, sociologist who was looking at this trend, uh, particularly in the West or in American culture, where people were doing more and more things alone that used to be done uh, in community. We all feel, I believe, that, that pressure, that loneliness. 
But Jesus gives us a different perspective. He teaches us about the fatherhood of God, right? He says, if you're my follower, if you've put your faith in me, you don't have to be anxious about those things. Why? Because God is now your father in heaven. And, and like any good father, and God is much better, far better than any good earthly father, God will provide for your needs. Now, just like my children would tell you, your heavenly father doesn't always give you what you want. The path and the course of your life doesn't always reflect the way you would have it or the story you would write. But God's promises are that he will provide all that you need and that we don't have to worry about it. Two of my favorite verses in the whole Bible are here, verses 31 and 32. Jesus says, therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we uh, drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Who, what's a Gentile? A Gentile was a non-Jewish person. And in Jesus' day, that today, that is a, a non-Christian. This is what non-Christians have to seek after, or really we would say worry about. They need to worry about providing for all their needs. If they don't have what it takes, if they don't get the right education, if they don't have the right job, it's all up to them. And so they seek after those things. They worry after those things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus gives us a radical invitation not to worry. I have a, I have a regular devotional material that I come back to, that I add to and over time. And, and, it, and there's something in there that I read almost every day, and it says, Jesus says, life without anxiety today is possible. I, I need to be reminded of that on a daily basis. And I would guess that you do too. Amen? Amen. Because God's love for us is better than any earthly father, this is what Jesus says. He says, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be the king or queen of your own kingdom. This is one of the fundamental truths of the Christian faith that I believe takes a lifetime to absorb, <laughs> to believe, and that is that God fundamentally loves you. And he is caring for you. And so this is Jesus' invitation to a beautiful life, and that is to, to walk in the manner of our faith, which is that you don't need to be in charge of your life. You don't need to seek after or worry primarily about providing for those things. Rather, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is the invitation. This is the invitation to a, to a worry-free life. I, I feel like I, this sounds like an infomercial now. You can have a worry-free life. Just pay $19.95. Um, but no, this is Jesus' real invitation, real promise. Uh, so what are we supposed to do rather than worrying or seeking after these things? He says, seek the kingdom. Uh, rather than worrying about all this stuff, about your reputation, about your finances, about your relationships even, God says, we are to preoccupy ourselves with living under God's rule. 
God's kingdom. This, this idea of God's kingdom can be somewhat amorphous. What does it mean? Well, well, really, if God's kingdom is on earth as it is in heaven, it means that God's rule is here, and as God's rule comes, we as his subjects live according to the rules of his kingdom. That's actually what it means when it says, uh, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. We may think, well, we need to be righteous or we need to be holy, but really it just means live right. Live, in Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in his paths of righteousness. What that means is God tells us how to live and we're to follow him. Um, again, Christianity isn't about getting it right, but we are called to follow God's paths that he sets before us. So that's what we're going to talk about for the remainder of this homily. Uh, what does it mean to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness? I, I want to say it means at least two things. And these are the two categories I want to put this in for us today to help us absorb it. First is repentance, and second is imitation. Repentance and imitation. First, repentance. Martin Luther, the great reformer uh, in the late Middle Ages, he said that the whole of the Christian life is one of repentance, and I think he's right. Now, repentance means literally to turn around. It's, it's the imagery of you're going on a path, you're, you're taking a direction, but you, you decide to turn around and go the other way. And this is the word that Jesus uses to begin his public ministry, right? When he, when he announces his ministry to the world, he begins with, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I believe we, we often conflate repentance with confession, right? Repent of your sins, right? That's, that's a good thing. But it, confession is to say, I'm a sinner. I have sinned. Here's a specific sin that I've done. But repentance is bigger. Repentance includes confession. It says, yes, I've been going my own way. I've been on this path. I've been seeking my own kingdom. But I'm going to turn around and I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to be a part of his kingdom. And so repentance really is a lifelong process of living under the rule and reign of God and his king, Jesus. And that's why, that's why we say all the time that to be a Christian is to be a disciple, right? Because a disciple is being a lifelong learner, a lifelong follower of Jesus. I said a couple weeks ago, the difference between a disciple and a, and a student is a student primarily sits under a teacher to gain information, to gain knowledge. But a, a disciple sits at the feet of a master or a teacher, yes, to gain information, yes, to gain understanding, but to gain more fully a way of living and being in the world. We don't know. We don't have the wisdom uh, to know how to live in this world, right? And this is, this is one of the problems that we face in the Christian life. When we focus more on conversion and sort of the beginning of the Christian life, uh, we, we truncate a huge part of it. But God's work in us, yes, he saves us at a moment in time. We put our faith in Christ. Um, but because of sin, we continually need to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. If we, 
If we seek to, to go, uh, to walk the Christian life on our own, apart from sitting at the feet of Jesus, we will inevitably go the wrong way. Why? Because we continue to be infected with sin until the resurrection when, when we are fully purged of sin and we have resurrection bodies. We won't be getting into that this morning. But we need to remember where we live. Because of sin, we will always eventually go off of God's path unless we are actively seeking to follow it. And we're finite creatures. We struggle with sin in our flesh, the Bible calls it. So that's, that's one temptation. But we also live in a world that is always changing and always bringing new temptations to us, telling us to go a different way. We always have to be returning to Jesus to say, what does faithfulness look like today in 2021 with all the things that are happening in the world and in the culture. But third, there's the devil who never stops assaulting us with his lies, telling us that we are not beloved children of God, that we have to find our own way. We have to provide for ourselves and put our faith in other things. And it's because of these three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, that, that to be a disciple is a daily following of Jesus. It's a, it's a lifelong apprenticeship so to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness means first to become these lifelong learners through the study of Scripture. So the question for us as disciples is, are you an active disciple today? Are you seeking to study the Scriptures? Are you, are you coming back again and again to the Scriptures through sitting under the preached word, but also reading and studying the Scriptures yourself or in community in a, in a small group with others? But it's not just about learning the contents of the scriptures. We go to the scriptures and we learn them so that we will deepen our relationship with God as our Father. The more we know him, the more we will love him. And the more we love him, the more we'll want to follow him. The more we understand him, the more of his beauty we'll see. One of Jesus' greatest and hardest commandments is to love our enemies, right? We're so used to hearing it, we just think, yeah, we're supposed to love our enemies. But, but if you actually think about it and you actually try to do it, it's incredibly difficult. And in fact, I would say it's impossible to love our enemies actively, truly, under our own strength and, and simply under the understanding that Jesus said, okay, Jesus said, love my enemies. Okay, I'm going to go about this. But I would say the only way we can actually love our enemies is by growing in understanding and experiencing God's love for us who were his enemies. While we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. As we reflect on who God is, who we are, who we were, and what God has done for us, our hearts are changed. And so when we, when we engage with someone who is our enemy or becomes our enemy or we see as our enemy, or they see us as our enemy, we, because our hearts have been changed, we now understand how to love them. So are you living a life of repentance? Are you living a life of seeking to learn and to grow as a lifelong apprentice of Jesus? Or is that something from the days of college? Is that something from a bygone era that you don't really give your time to? You're so busy child-rearing, working on your career, mowing the lawn. Life is so full. I would argue that that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. 
We have allowed ourselves to become anxious about many things. And we have stopped seeking first his kingdom. So I, I want to encourage you. Be in a small group. I know this sounds, this, this is getting down to brass tacks. Be in a discipleship group. Be in a village group. I'm super excited about the material we're looking at in village groups right now called Godspeed. I'm very excited about uh, the plan that, that the Trebeshes have about our discipleship groups this fall. Whether you're a member of a di- discipleship group or a village group or a leader, you will learn. This is a lifelong process, so I want to encourage you to do that. All right, secondly, and a little bit more quickly, I'm running out of time. Imitation. The second thing it means to seek first the kingdom of God is imitation. Right? To live as citizens of God's kingdom is to live according to the norms and the culture of, of God's world, of his kingdom, right? It's not a, it's not a white culture or a black culture. Uh, it's not an American culture, a Western or Eastern culture. It's not a Republican or Democrat culture. It's a Jesus culture. And that culture and those norms shape the way we live our lives, right? If, uh, James says, if we go and look in the mirror and we learn about ourselves, but then we leave and don't change our actions, it's like we've forgotten what we look like. If we have become followers of Christ, if we are sitting at Jesus' feet, then our lives should reflect that. Too often, the big criticism of Christianity is that Christians don't look any different than our non-Christian neighbors. I think we need to take that to heart. Our neighbors, the Gentiles, they're seeking after all of these things, and so are we. So what does it look like to seek after God's kingdom? I would say it looks like seeking to imitate Christ in the way he was in the world. Um, and so what does that mean? Well, it, it, one of the things it looks like is doing ministry the way Jesus did ministry in the world. Think about Jesus' ministry. What did he do? What did he do? Well, he preached, right? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. He taught. We have the Sermon on the Mount that we, our passage comes out. He did a lot of teaching. He described God. He described how we are to be in the world. But the second big thing he did was miracles, Right? He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He walked on water. Why did he do all of these things? Was it to gain a following? To impress people? Did he want to eradicate hunger? Did he want to, to heal all ailments in the world? No, it's not. Jesus tells us why he did miracles. He said, these are signs, signs of the kingdom of God. It means if you look at the miracles Jesus is doing, he's pointing to the kingdom that is to come. When God's kingdom comes to earth, all the powers of darkness, right, demons and Satan and his kingdom will finally be eradicated. When God's kingdom comes to earth, hunger will be eradicated. When God's kingdom comes to earth, death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning. And so Jesus Miracles and the way he did ministry was meant to point others to the coming kingdom of God. And we can do the same thing. Now, it doesn't mean that we can heal the sick or raise the dead. Uh, God can continue to do miracles through his people as he sees fit. We're not talking about that this morning. But we are talking about how we can uh, 
do signs of God's coming kingdom. When God's people feed the hungry, our goal is not to eradicate hunger, but it is to show to the world that when God's kingdom comes, there will be no, none hungry. When we go and we sit and we visit with the residents of Brandon Towers and we have coffee and donuts, what we show is that no one will be forgotten. That when God's kingdom comes, loneliness will be wiped out. That all people have value, right? Often people can go into retirement homes and feel forgotten, feel left, feel pushed to the sides. When people open uh, drug clinics and things like that, they're showing that everyone is welcome to the healing of God. Everyone has value, even those who make incredible mistakes. Um, We can do signs of the kingdom of God. This is why we talked about last summer, we talked a lot about racial reconciliation as a kingdom value. Why? Because when God's kingdom comes, all the peoples of the earth will be unified as one body. And so it is worth pursuing racial reconciliation. As hard and as as contentious as that is today, it is a beautiful sign of God's coming kingdom. When God's people are willing to do the hard work of reconciliation and fight for unity, we point to what life will look like in the kingdom of God. But, But it it's big things, but it can be very small things. When we forgive one another for sins, for slights, for things we've done to one another, it points to the kingdom of God. Uh, I have a neighbor who I've known for years. He's, he's lived on my street since before I moved in. And, um, you know, it's sort of that relationship you have with some neighbors. You see them, you say hello, and that's sort of the end of it. Um, but a few weeks ago, I was walking home, and I saw... Him and another neighbor, the other neighbor I know better, so I stopped to talk with them and just see what they were talking about. And I learned in that conversation that that, that neighbor that I didn't know very well, he, he was having some trouble. He was particularly having some car trouble, and it was affecting his life and his livelihood. It was affecting his ability to get to work and his ability to pay rent and all of those types of things. And as I listened and as we talked I began to feel the provocation of the Holy Spirit, and I tried to resist it for a couple minutes. And, and I thought, Lord, my car is my independence. Anyway, um, yes, it's 17 years old, but gosh darn it, it's mine. Um, so eventually I just said, hey, if you ever need to borrow my car, just ask. Well, a couple days later, he said, hey, can I borrow your car? Sure, absolutely. Take it to work, take a couple errands. Um, and, and a couple days later, he asked again. And over the next couple of weeks, because of this interaction, I began to get to know him. He began to get to know me. He found out I was a pastor, and he said, you know what, I read the Bible sometimes, but I don't understand it. Can we get together and talk about it? Yeah. Yeah, we could do that. Uh, he texted me last week, and he said, hey, look, I've got an interview for a job that'll pay more per hour. Can I borrow your car? Absolutely. Now, I'm using this as an illustration because there was nothing particularly special in this. Anyone can do this. Right? By, by being willing not to live for my kingdom and care about my vehicle, 
But to offer it, my presence, my family's presence on my street can be a sign of the kingdom. That, that our material possessions are not precious to us, but that the people around us are precious to God. And that God wants them to have transportation and a way to get to work and a way to earn money and a way to have self-respect. And God opened up unforeseen doors to talk about the gospel and to read scripture together and to build a relationship that for five years we have not built. And it was that simple prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, offer, offer what you have and I will use it for the good of my kingdom. These are small signs of the kingdom, but brothers and sisters, imagine God's people spread out around this neighborhood, around the city, around this world, not living for our own kingdoms, but seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. It is beautiful. When we give our lives to seek God's kingdom, our lives Rather than being stressed and, and overfull, they become full of purpose and meaning and gratitude and thanksgiving. So what are ways, small ways, in your neighborhood, with your neighbors, in your workplace, the people God has brought into your life and your family, where can you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in a way that would bring the kingdom, that would be a channel through which God's grace and glory can come and affect those around us. Beloved, Jesus offers us a beautiful life. Rather than being anxious about all these other things, he says, entrust it to your Father in heaven who loves you and will give you all of these things. But seek first his kingdom and see, watch. Live a life of repentance. Study the scriptures. Get to know God in a deep way, his love, profound love for you, but also imitate him in your manner of life in a way that points to the kingdom and brings him glory. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the grace you have given to us. Jesus, we are thankful for the ministry that you had in this world. Would you do it through us? Would you do the work? You are the only one who can bring your kingdom. You are the only one who can affect people's lives for eternity. But you can do it through us. And so give us those eyes. Show us those opportunities. Be gracious to us, O Lord. We pray for our good and your glory. Amen. Now is the time.